Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Monday. That means it is Mental Health Monday. We get to check in with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman here in just a moment for our series on play. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. We are continuing our series on play here on Mental Health Monday. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for our series on play. It's helping me learn how to, um, well, how play is uh, important to my mental health and that of my family's as well. And it's been quite useful. Now, the next one is play and adolescents and teens. Not super applicable to me to my household, I should say. I shouldn't say to me because I do um, I do have teens in my life that I love and care for in some ways. So, um, but it's not about me. It's about everybody else today. So let's talk about play <laughs> adolescents and teens. Well, and I think a, an enduring um, concept that we've been talking about a lot in this series is, you know, how do we make our churches and our neighborhoods and the schools that we're a part of, all those places, uh, places where play is valued, you know, because grace is valued there. And play, I really believe is an aspect of that uh, first creation gift of grace that God gives us in provision, you know, if you will, just in the same way that rest is a provision of God or, um, you know, emotions and feelings are a provision of God. So is play. And so, you know, I think adolescents and teens are really interesting because number one, we are all invested in them because they're becoming our leaders. You know, these are the people in our lives and in our communities who are growing into the people who are going to lead the charge tomorrow, you know, who we're teaching to, to try to take over companies and to try to be the leaders in our churches uh, in the coming years. And so, and, and in this year, this year, their youth is important um, and their presence is important. And so I think we are all, especially in the body of Christ are invested in adolescents and teens. So adolescents are different than teens. And I think that's an important thing to talk about up front. Um, Adolescence is that strange time that we might call a preteen or a tween. Um, It's differently defined in different spaces. Um, I think anywhere from age nine or age 10, 11 to um, the teen years of 13, 14 is adolescence. And so that's a developmentally different time than when we're talking about a 14-year-old through 18 or 19 year old that those are the teen years you know and especially since in our culture we call adulthood 18 years or 19 if you live in Nebraska um, then <laughs> I know it's weird how we do it different by state but recognizing that there's a space where you know a 16 year old or a 14 year old is going to look quite a bit different developmentally than a 19 year old because of the way our culture is and interacts with those age groups. So bottom line is know your people, (laughs) you know, know their uh, maturity levels, know them as individuals when we talk about these things and understand that nothing is 
truly universal besides Jesus's love for us and Jesus's truth. So these are all good tips for adolescents and teens, but your adolescent and teens or the ones that you interact with might developmentally look a little bit different and that's okay. Development is a fluid process um, with a backwards and forwards, if you will. And so giving them space to grow as they need to grow, not as we think they need to grow is really important. And so the first question we have today is how does it look different? How does play look different in adolescents and teens than it looks for young children, young children? So let's start with a question for you guys, just because that's fun. And I like to, you know, mix it up. <laughs> but um, when you picture a young child playing, we talked about in one of our other episodes, you know, what do you think that looks like? But what, when you think of young child play, Andy said playing in the creek, like comes to mind, right? Or going outside and playing surf. Viper. Um, and Sarah said indoor resource, indoor, that, that, I can't talk today. Indoor recess was what she pictured or playing games or playing school, things like that. Um, so when you think of an adolescent, so a preteen, you know, tween, if you will, playing, how do you picture play for an adolescent? Hmm. That's really hard. I, I feel like it's like that's the age when when play starts to be less like playful mm -hmm. i mean uh um, more, more structured yeah mm -hmm. uh with more purpose maybe um i mean i think of just like recess and like playing sports i guess but that's mm -hmm. uh, you know mm -hmm. that's that's almost a different category too though well, and I think like that's a good aspect just to like, yes, let's set that one down for a second. Like sports is certainly an aspect of play. They can be very, very structured and very, very purposeful, but they also don't have to be. And so I think that's an accurate one for adolescents um, and teens and even adults is uh, athletics, if you will. Um, and that looks different for everybody. I mean, I know that Andy's a runner. Um, I ran for many years, did a lot of 5Ks and stuff, and actually do not find that playful in any way, shape, or form. Like, <laughs> it is not fun for me. Um, and I think about it every moment that I'm doing it. There is no ceasing of time there. So, um, you know, understanding that, like, again, each adolescent, each teen is different, but I think athletics for some of them or physical activity, and we'll return to that, is definitely one thing. So, yeah, does anything else come to mind? I envision capture the flag. Oh, yeah, <laughs> super Where, fun. You know, the, there aren't really a whole lot of capture the flag leagues, that sort of thing. It's not something that, you know, an organized sport where we see this tournaments happening all over the country, that sort of thing, where it's like we would see like with baseball and softball and things like that and football and other sports that, that we see in, in schools and clubs. This mm -hmm. is something you do at camp for fun. Mm. Ooh, camp is a good word. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a really playful word for adolescents and teens, I think. You know, uh, I can think of my daughter's experiences at Luther Haven or at Luther Valley Retreat and the kids at uh, Camp Luther here in Nebraska. Like uh, I just named all, you know, all the Lutheran camps close to my heart. And I'm sure uh, even those of us who haven't had a camp experience have a picture of that in our head. That's kind of a classic 
adolescent version of play. And I think, like you said, Sarah, there's some, a little more structure to play when we move into adolescence. And part of that is our cognitive abilities and our way of processing things. You know, we become a lot more verbal um, and a lot more engaged in abstract concepts. And so we all become tiny engineers, you know, once we hit adolescence, we're always trying to arrange things in our head um, and figure them out and figure out the way the world works in a very uh, intentional way. Um, and I say intentional, which is kind of funny because it's still subconscious, but it's definitely more to the front of our brain, if you will, than when we're little um, and we're just kind of grabbing experiences as they come. And so there is a lot more structure and that can still be pretty purposeless. I think the trick is to give the adolescents and teens in our lives places to do that purposelessly, you know, um, instead of signing them up for 7,000 activities, just because they're interested in something, we can also give them areas to, to investigate and to discover those things without signing them up for a course in those things or a team for those things. Um, I think that's really powerful in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. Another big difference for adolescents that's a little different even from teens and young children is the transition that Sarah brought up. So they're just transitioning to a different kind of play. And I think the hardest part about this in our culture in particular is that there's a shame factor with that. And I would really love to remove that. Like, I don't think it has a place, but every kid will transition their play differently. I don't think we ever stop playing and I don't think that's healthy for us to stop playing. But um, in our culture, we essentially have this unwritten rule that says, you know, stop playing when you're about nine or 10, like you're too old for play now. Um, and I think that plays out in our classrooms and the way that we instruct. I think it plays out in our family lives. Um, and for children, the most important part of this is that there is that internalizing of that shame. So if they still enjoy playing with dolls or if they, you know, are drawing their comic books or if they're uh, playing pretend with their Legos or Survivor outside even, uh, in different families and in different cultural communities like our churches or our schools, uh, children are going to get different messages about how okay that is. Um, and again, we want it to be a place of grace. So we want them to be able to move toward that more structured play in the timing that they need, as well as helping them enter into that transition instead of judging them for that transition, which I think is kind of currently what happens a lot of times. Um, I think homeschoolers know and do a lot of work in this area actually, because they so often are, um, kind of extending their child's years, if you will, because they don't have quite as much of the social pressure that our kids that go to a school setting do. And so if you have questions about this, I think your, your local homeschoolers are a good group to help you out with this because they often understand that the developmental differences from child to child quite a bit better. Um, but just making it a safe place for kids to uh, discover how their play changes over time. And just like our young children, letting them process that 
and having a space to, to talk about it or just to process it through their play themselves. So how about teens, you guys? What do you picture for teens? How do teens play? I would say the same thing. I just from my camp experience, capture the flag or other things like that. Um, camp games are what I have, or what come to mind because that was my experience as a camp counselor, not necessarily as a teen. I really I'm trying to think of what I did to play as a teen, like the free form. Not yeah. So much of know. my time was like high school and activity, and I didn't have a lot of time to like play really which is a really horrible thing to think about but I think I think it's it's like what we were talking about with adolescence but even less um like toys or I guess your toys just change but like less of the playing pretend and a lot more of the like playing out real life scenarios or um playing like what it would be to I guess it's still pretend but playing what it looks like to be an adult in a certain situation or something like that and of course like athletics and and playing outside Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple things in that. Number one is uh, the heaviness of not having play. I think we have to be honest about that, that we're not a culture that's friendly towards play after a certain age. Um, and so I just got over a two year stint of being an interim youth leader. And the thing that stuck out to me the most was how tired they were just exhausted. And I ended up taking my youth through the study, uh, run hard, rest well with Brenda. Um, how do you say her last name? You would know Jank. that. Jank. Jank. Thank you. Yeah, Jank. had her on several times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just because I was like, you guys, you don't have to be this tired. And it was really interesting because we really worked through the concept of rest. It was really helpful. But what we ended up talking about a lot was the difference between rest and recreation and entertainment. Um, And I think play goes into this, like play refuels us in a way that pure recreation does not. Um, And so, again, we want to build leaders, you know, we want to build really responsible members of society. But in order to do that, we also have to build health in them. And so giving them spaces to play and not just produce, because what we're currently doing is expecting our teens and our adults, especially to just produce. And that's a world idea. That is not a Jesus idea. Um, And so play is going to be, I think, a thing that adults, if you're going to have teens in your life, uh, and, or going to have a teen eventually in your life, Andy, uh, <laughs> you have to look at your own relationship with play so that your issues with play don't roll over into the teens in your life. Uh, I think the if we got judgment about play when we were a certain age and that shame crept in, then we're more likely to give it over to someone else in our life too. So it's just really important to let teens have some free space. So that's one thing that play gives us member is freedom and we believe in the freedom of christ so knowing that they have space you know is a really important thing so when we get back from the break we can talk a little bit about the four things that um teenagers and adolescents need in their play and i think that'll help us define a little bit more about how we can give it to them you're listening to the coffee our mental health monday with deaconess heidi gaiman we're talking about play in our series on play today we're focusing on adolescents and teens. We'll be back with more in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series on Mental Health Monday with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman on play. And today we're focusing on play for adolescents and teens. What does it look like? What does it mean? And what are the needs? What do adolescents and teens need for growth in play? That's what we're digging into next. Heidi, what do adolescents and teens need in, in their play? Yeah, so there's four aspects of play that I think are really important for adolescents and teens. The first one is social. So as we get older, the developmental stages, particularly in Erickson, but in other theorists, we see a lot of growth in intimacy and a lot of growth in identity. And so social play helps us with both those things. It helps us understand who we are. And it also helps us understand our place of belonging and our place and our role in society. And so we want to give them a place to be social. So let me throw the question back at you real fast. Can you think of when you were a teen, some social things that you did that felt playful? Anybody? School dances. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I remember crying in the bathroom a lot, but... Oh, I don't... We were actually fun having... Okay, that's good. Well, I had a group of friends that we would always... I mean, if we didn't have dates, which most of us didn't, let's be honest, um, we would go as a group of friends and we would just mm-hmm. hang out with each other, which was really fun. Right. Which, okay, that's a really good point. So when we allow the teens to do things like that, instead of making them always the social ritual of dating, although that can be playful. Um, But when we allow it to be less about trying to develop a mate, which is essentially, I mean, even though that's not what we think it is, that is the role of dating in life. Um, We give them more freedom when we allow them to make kind of choices and don't pressure them, if you will, to go outside of whatever they're comfortable with. So yeah, that social role of school dances is really good. I also always think about the cafeteria. Um, See, I I have nightmares of cafeteria. (laughs) You are not the first person. And that's a whole nother Mental Health Monday episode. Um, But I think that cafeteria for teens, when it is a safe place and And even when it's not, there's still aspects of it that is their free time in the midst of a not free space, right? So so schooling, and even when you're homeschooled, you have a lot to get done. There's like stuff on your plate every day. And so meal breaks and different breaks that we work into the day. I mean, just like recess for little kids, these are recesses for big kids, including adults, is when we give ourselves a meal break or we give ourselves a walk outside for a hot second. Those kinds of things are important um, and getting the social aspects. When I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones until I was in high school. So I remember in junior high, in particular, like the big deal of talking on the phone for hours on end. And, <laughs> you know, no one could get to the phone line. And um, and that was really kind of fun. Like having someone call you, there's something really unique in a relationship. Um, and it, it says value over you. And so 
so when when there are teens who are really chatty like that, allowing them that space is really important because that's probably very playful for them. Uh, in our teens today, we see a lot of TikToking, we see a lot of uh, YouTube video making, we see a lot of social media engagement, and and that can be terribly hazardous to their health, but it can also be really positive and it can be a playful thing for them. So play should always have boundaries. Like I said, uh, when we were talking about play therapy in one of our other episodes, you know, we want to keep them safe so that that never uh, is not part of the picture. So social engagement on media, but can you see how when we're constantly crabbing at our teens for being on their phone or for engaging in social media and really social media shaming, how for the teens in our lives that can be really internalized because it is a playful aspect for them so often. So really weighing those things and balancing them. Um, The second thing is discovery. So adolescents and teens especially play by discovery. And we see this in really young children with sensory bins and with playgrounds and nature, but the same is true for adolescents and teens. So that is different for each person. So a biology class might be really an element of play for one person and just a terrible nightmare for someone else, right? And same thing with math class. or, or music for another person, but whatever their realm is that brings discovery, usually that realm involves some play for them, um, even if it is kind of structured and they have to do assignments. So when you were an adolescent or teen, what was playful for you as far as discovery goes, Sarah and Andy? Definitely music mm-hmm. and yeah. biology. <laughs> <laughs> All the good stuff. How about you, Andy? Not math. Oh, gosh. Um, Probably, yeah, probably the arts to music and theater mm-hmm. uh, and uh, science too. Um, I was just an all around nerd. So, yeah, Same. right. <laughs> well, and I love that our culture has gotten to the place where we recognize nerding as really fun and okay. Yes. Like, you know, like I love it when we come into derogatory terms and just own them and we're like, no, I like learning things. And that is who God has made me to be. That's really healthy. Um, and so I, my friends and I would get together and play trivia pursuit until oh, yeah. all hours, right? That was a way that we discovered, you know, more about the world around us. Um, so yeah, super fun. A lot of stuff that we can engage in, in discovery. Getting outside is obviously healthy for us anytime. Um, but when teachers get really creative about the ways they present things too, they might open a way of discovery for a topic that wasn't playful for a student before. And one thing I'll say about play, even though we're not supposed to give it purpose, right? Um, If we can find play, the playful aspects of learning, the learning sinks deeper. There's something with that, with play that it really, I think part of it is using all the different parts of our brain instead of just the prefrontal cortex, which is like our logic center. Um, So yeah, discovery is important. The third one is imagination. And so that's where I think theater really is part of uh, imagination that you experienced, Andy. Um, Another part of that is seeing movies though. You know how teens and adolescents love to watch a movie. I think it's so funny to watch my 16-year-old son go see a Marvel movie and then hash it out with his friends. Like that is a powerful (laughs) aspect of both play and social play. Um, These universes, if you will, that people create are really, really playful for people and they can get lost in them, right? They uh, really uh, get 
to discover all kinds of different ways that we might imagine life to be uh, in these different Marvel universes and Star Wars universe and those, those different things. So imagination is a hefty thing. It doesn't have to be about dress up anymore, but there is imagination in the way we play with adolescents and teens. The last one, since we're almost out of time, is physical. And that's what you mentioned earlier in sports and such, um, just having anything athletic to do. So before we run out of time, I think you mm -hmm. mentioned capture the flag. Any other physical things you picture when you picture play as a teen? I played football in the backyard with my brothers. That was fun. Yeah, super fun. And and you're not going to sign up for a league like no. you might, but you don't have to, you know, the families that get together. I mean, that's like a quintessential American picture is playing football at Thanksgiving or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, we like to go play Frisbee golf or um, riding our bikes, you know, around town or going for a walk with our dogs. Like those are aspects of play for adolescents and teens. Um, and so I think that being okay with understanding those as play helps us then to not heap on that element of shame when we enter into adolescence, when our kids enter adolescence and, uh, you know, avoid telling them like, stop playing or you're too old for that. Instead, giving them some things that are still playful and helping them transition into that is part of the work of parenting, part of the work of youth leaders and teachers and all the people in adolescents and teens lives. So play will keep them healthy. So how can we offer that to them a little bit more? Hmm. That is a great question. We are, <laughs> we're all the time, but now I'm thinking about Oh, now I have a bunch more questions. Like, what about the kid in the garage, like learning how an engine works and tinkering around with that and then wanting to build something with with what, you know, what pieces he has in the garage? Um, oh, man. Yeah. But we're out of time. <laughs> I know. We'll talk about playing adults. And I think we're going to hit on some of that a little bit more. So keep keep staying tuned to the series. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks, Heidi. Have a great week. Thanks. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.